he turned to me right before he went to the hotel. He goes, you want to stick around tonight? It's a first against the grain Monday. That means the debut of the against the grain all-stars. Don't ask. We'll also talk to a, a good friend who was there for a momentous evening at ESPN, a historic evening, and a football reporter who gets inside the head of John Gruden. Against the grain regular season, it begins. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Against the grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Okay, week one is almost done. We have Monday night's games, but we learned a lot Thursday and Sunday. And if you're a regular listener to the Against the Grain podcast, which I hope you are, kind of doubt you are. I mean, we just started. But if you are, Emery Hunt, scout uh, with The Athletics, said that Lamar Jackson is going to be the best quarterback out of the 2018 draft class. And man, Emery looks like he might be right. Because Baker Mayfield did not look good. Uh, Sam Darnold looked even worse. Then, you know, Josh Allen had moments in the fourth quarter, but he struggled as well. Josh Rosen didn't play. Unbelievable what Lamar Jackson did, although it was against the Dolphins, so we don't know what's real. But we're going to do something unique here on the Against the Grain podcast. We're going to have our Against the Grain All-Stars every Monday. My producer, Mario, has no idea this was coming, but every Monday we're going to have the Against the Grain All-Stars, which are the not-so-obvious standout players from the weekend. And I'm going to start off this week with a guy in Cincinnati. It's not my guy, and Andy Dalton. It's a coach, Zach Taylor. Oh, my gosh. I This this coach did such a great job against Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. He was attacking every level of the defense. That's three levels. Mario, is your mic work here? Yeah. yeah. All right. I just want to say, make sure Mario was here. So he attacked every level. It was perfect. They just screwed up the game. They missed a field goal. Andy had a sort of a fumble interception. that The ball slipped out of his hand. I am really impressed by Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. I think that's going to happen. A couple other against grain all-stars. Ravens tight end Mark Andrews. I think this guy is a star waiting to happen. Every time he goes against a team that I bet on, he just tears them apart. Bills rookie Ed Oliver went number nine. I think you can make a case, and we'll see what happens with Kyler Murray some of the other big players, that he might be the best player in this draft. He might be Aaron Donald. He was throwing around Jets offensive linemen like they were little kids. Okay, more against great all-stars. Sammy Watkins, Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I never said it out loud, but I thought to myself at the end of last year, I'm like, I'm not sure Sammy Watkins isn't the best wide receiver on the Chiefs. Remember he tore up the Patriots in the AFC Championship game? Oh, my God. He was unbelievable. I'm all about Sammy Watkins, and I want to be on that bandwagon. Of course, the dude just had 198 yards receiving, so I guess it's a little late to jump on the bandwagon. What do you think? Probably, yeah. I mean, still week one. Yeah, nobody's into Sammy Watkins. They should be into Sammy. Okay, a couple more. Uh, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, the running backs in the Vikings. Mike Zimmer's going to run the ball. I am all about this running attack. Kirk Cousins barely threw the ball. I like old school football, Minnesota. That's my kind. Actually, no, I like heavy passing teams, but I like that they're committed to one style and they totally went with it against Atlanta. Those running backs are really good. And lastly, my against the grain all-stars for week one, old pass rushers. Listen to this. Cameron Wake, two and a half sacks. He's 37 years old for the Titans in the blowout of the Browns. And then Terrell Suggs, two sacks for the Cardinals, including a huge one at the end of the game. 36 years old. These guys have been torturing people for years. So you can be an old pass rusher. I didn't even know that. So that's a thing now. That's a big thing. Have you been hearing about this, Mario? I have not. No. No, it's a huge thing. It's like all the kids are talking about the 35 plus. And okay, I was in Philadelphia this weekend where they did not have a couple old pass rushers. They didn't have Chris Long and they didn't have Michael Bennett. And you could see because Case Keenum tore them apart. They had no pass rush early in the game. The Redskins... Basically, Max protected Keenum, three-step drop. He knew where he was going and just tore them apart. But I want to revisit the Eagles as my Super Bowl pick. It's happening. That offensive line is so good. They did not sniff Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was as athletic as he was two years ago. The injury is rehabbed. They are ready to go. Deshaun Jackson, who's also old, is so fast. I, I do not see what can get in the way. I know the Cowboys look great. I know the Packers have a defense. I know the Rams are still good. I know the Saints go tonight. They're going to be awesome. The Eagles are the most complete team, barring a Carson Wentz injury. 
it's I feel good, even though it was a very close game on Sunday. What I saw really impressed me, especially the O line. I mean, no, the Reds are supposed to have a good defensive line, and they couldn't get within three feet of Carson Wentz. Really impressed. You're looking at me like I'm nuts, Mario. That first half doesn't scare you at all. Like they no, no. Oh my god, not at all. Not at all. That. that defense was never out on the field together in the preseason. The offense was rarely out on the field together. It was one of those teams that had a weird, wonky preseason where they just weren't ready to go. It had. It had. Not, it was like the Packers in the first quarter against the Bears. It means nothing, especially because the defense was kind of hurt this preseason and they were being cautious. They're going to be fine. All these guys came back from injuries, so they weren't used to it. They're totally going to be fine, uh, unless they aren't. Uh, you know, there are some older players, so injuries have. There are a lot of like big injuries this week. Tyreek Hill, of course, got hurt. Some vicious hits. Uh, this is a tough sport. I'm not a tough guy, but we are going to talk to a tough guy on this podcast. My good friend and coworker Paul Paps is going to talk some football, but he's also going to tell us about what it was like to be in Bristol, Connecticut, the night Dan Patrick went. Back to Sports Center with Keith Oberman. Paul has all the details, a lot of fun stuff. And we're going to talk to the MMQB.com's Jenny Vrentis. Now, Jenny recently did a big story on John Gruden and the Raiders and was in New England for week one. So Jenny has some interesting perspective on Antonio Brown and the entire NFL. Man, the regular season's here. Against the grain is starting to pick up steam. It's like a locomotive. It cannot be stopped. Mario's enthusiasm is probably just bursting through whatever device you're listening to this podcast on. Right, Mario? Yeah. Yeah, it's all happening against the grain. Let's get into it. All right, joining me now is my buddy Paul Paps. Now, I'm going to let you guys behind the scenes a little bit here. Actually, was in public on our other podcast, the Leisureman Podcast, where Paulie said the following two things, and I poo-pooed him. He said, Marlon Max going to lead the league in rushing. Mm-hmm. And you all said Christian McCaffrey is going to have a monster numbers. And I said the following things. I said, no, nah, the Colts have Frank Reich. He's a passing coach. Marlon Mack will never run for a ton of yards. And I'm like, no, nah, the Panthers are going to spread the ball out to the wide receivers. Um, well, actually, you only debunked the Marlon Mack take. And you said Christian McCaffrey, sure, he's going to get a lot of touchdowns in an offense that doesn't really produce enough to win football games. So you didn't say he's not going to get touches and yards. Yeah. You just said their offense still needs to be downfield with wide receivers. So does this last? This Mar- is Marlon Mack the the best running back in the NFL right now? No, I just I just felt like when I saw the situation, he was really yeah. good last year, and then with Jacoby Brissett, it it wasn't going to surprise me if they leaned a little on Mack early, mm-hmm. even though they've added it with good wide point. receiver tight end is is better than it was. Um, I just had the feeling he's young. These young guys they they're not scared of carries. They don't. He doesn't cost anything. Let him let him run. That's such a good point. So you're actually putting into the larger picture of running backs being disposable is kind of pointed. So you would always take a second or third year guy over like a seven year guy. I'm so extreme about my anti first round running back mm-hmm. take. Like McCaffrey, I look at him as you know, it's the same thing. He's working out perfectly, but you're going to pay him sixty million dollars in two years. Yeah, and that's flawed. You set yourself up for disaster, and so you have to discipline yourself not to take a running back in the first round of the NFL draft. You got to. And and it's hard to do when you see Saquon Barkley, who is awesome, and he's doing exactly what's asked for. Mm. Uh, Ezekiel is doing exactly what's asked for him. But it's like a financial situation. You have to look at it like like you're looking at uh, a bad financial play that you're guaranteeing to happen to you because the better they are, the more you owe them at their second contract. Right. Uh, the Bills had a kid, Devin Singletary, who had a really nice day out of Florida Atlantic. Right. He's not getting paid a dime. Run Austin, him all day long. Austin Eckler, who's yeah. filling in for Melvin Gordon uh, in San Diego, he's getting paid uh, $1.6 million for three years. His signing bonus was $5,000 out of college. Oh, my God. And they are, he's getting so many touches, too, because he's a pass game guy. He's awesome, yeah. by the way. Poor Melvin Gordon. If you're Melvin Gordon... And you're, uh, you know, and you're Antonio Brown watching the Patriots. Are you kind of rooting against your team this week a little bit? Yeah. Well, I think Melvin Gordon looked at what Le'Veon Bell did last year and said, "Hey, there's a blueprint." Well, maybe Le'Veon's a higher end running back. He got lucky that one team, the Jets, who are notorious for making shaky financial decisions, paid overpaid Le'Veon Bell. A terrible move by the Jets, no matter how good he is, because mm-hmm. they could use that money elsewhere. And uh, you know, they could have got a third round running back and spent that. $40 million on anything else to help Sam Darnold. Absolutely. Okay. Um, we're going to be talking football all season long here. Sure. I guess I'm going to be borrowing Paul on a lot of Mondays. Oh, great. You didn't know that yet. Um, 
I want to talk about Friday night because we the, all the Danettes went up to Bristol and watched a panel, which was unbelievable. It was one of the cooler experiences I've had. I got to see around Bristol. Then at four o'clock, a wave of exhaustion hit me yeah. like I've never been before. We had done the show. We had done the Dan Patrick show. Long drive. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Uh, Seton left too, and you're like, and you were there, and you're like, remember saying, I'm just gonna hang out, make sure Dan's comfortable. Next thing I know, it's 9 p.m. and you're two hours away from doing a show. Can you break down a, sort of with a timeline of what happened on Friday night? So they invited Dan Patrick to be on this panel of Old Sports Center hosts, and I think it was at one o'clock, right? And Dan wrapped at about 2:45, and he was chit chatting behind the tent with all these different ESPN employees and talent that he knew from years past and current, and the Danettes were right with him, and. And he was getting ready to go over to the hotel, Dan, about 4 o'clock, 4.15. He was going to take a nap, get a shower, get a shave, and come back to do Sports Center, which starts at 11 at best if tennis doesn't go long. But the Sports Center meeting for Scott Van Pelt Sports Center is 6 p.m. And Dan and Keith Oberman had to be there at 6 p.m. to be part of the meeting. It's a real Sports Center. Well, it's funny. I thought you were talking about the 6 p.m. Sports Center. Right. Then you are like, it's the meeting. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, okay. So when the 6 p.m., I actually tuned into the 6 p.m. Sports Center. So I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm just kind of like making sure Dan's okay, because once all the Danettes are gone, he's all alone on the ESPN campus <laughs> for the first time in you know 12 years. So wait, what, what did you think? What's the worst thing that happened to him? He, the dude uh, was there for 20 years. I don't know. It's just, again, one of my roles, I always think, for the, as the, one of the producers of the Dan Patrick Show, is to protect Dan. Sure. To help Dan out when... Even when he may not need it. He didn't need my help. No. Um, but he turned to me right before he went to the hotel. He goes, you want to stick around tonight? And that meant he wanted me to stick around tonight. I know how Dan works, and I, I took it as a total compliment. Yeah, of course. I was uh, very honored to be asked. I'm super jealous. That's uh, awesome, man. And it wasn't you know like something I thought of before, and I didn't even ask to do it. And I didn't even think he was going to ask. I was like, all right, I'm going to go home and hang with my wife and kick back around the TV like everybody else. And uh, I'm like, yeah. So he went to the hotel. I'm at 4:15. I'm now. I'm all alone at the wait, ESPN wait. Campus. Oh, wait. so Dan said on the impact show he went to the hotel, and the thought crossed my mind. I'm like, Paulie didn't go to the hotel uh, with him. They did didn't give me a hotel room. So what did you do? What do you do on Bristol campus all alone there? Good question. I walked over to the ESPN cafeteria, which is mm-hmm. much bigger and nicer than when I was there. I got myself a uh, chicken sandwich, which was lovely. Mm. And then I was like, I still have another hour to kill. I walked over to the ESPN network radio studios where I used to work. I just kind of barged in, and uh, I was already on campus. I didn't need a swipe card. And I saw one of my old cohorts, Justin Craig. Yeah. He's the guy who runs ESPN Radio. He's a great dude. Known him for a long time. He ran Mike and Mike when I ran the Dan Patrick Show back in the day. So he showed me around, all the new studios, everything they got there, and it was really fun. And then I just sauntered over to the 6 p.m. Sports Center, and uh, it's about 6.05. Dan walks in, and Van Pelt and his whole crew and Oberman are already in there. I see Dan at the door. We walk in, and we just kind of sit down, and there wasn't a lot of like, hey, buddy. It was more like, all right, it's time to go to work now. Wow. Because we do have a show. And it wasn't emotional in the moment. It wasn't uh, wild in the moment. It wasn't a big thing. It's like, all right, it's time to go to work. And Pete McConville, the producer, and Mike McQuaid, the uh, other producer, they were, they're very high-end now at ESPN. But back in the day, they were the meat and potatoes type producers mm. like us who did Sports Center, And they brought them back because they know how Dan and Keith work. Even oh, 20- they brought them back. They're not in these those... These are the original sports center producers. So now they're executives there or they're yes. retired or they left? They're executives. Oh, wow. So they had said today. So they're rusty too. Well, it didn't show. Okay. These guys are the best of the best. And so they brought McQuaid and McConville back. And those guys I recognize. But then there's about six other people that work with Scott Van Pelt on his nightly show every night. A little younger guys. Um, anywhere from you know 25 to 40. And uh, Pete McConville just starts talking. He goes, all right. Hey, it's great to have everyone here. We all know it's a special night. Uh, let's get to it. And he starts doing a production meeting like any other meeting because they still have a show to do. Right. And of course. Then, and then it wasn't a kumbaya, let's take When it. was it decided that SVP would just step aside? Uh, probably a day and a half earlier when Scott and uh, some of the other executives and Dan Patrick and Keith kind of all r- round robin talked us out. But was there any talk about sort of integrating them more like? Well, they still had a show to do and they yeah. still had to cover the stories of the night. So yeah. when the Antonio Brown video is leaked yeah. an hour before that sports center, sh- rundown gets ripped up and they had to change the, Got it, of the show. Yeah. There was three planned segments. There was going to be uh, Dan and Keith doing the baseball highlights right. Re- right early. Like, let's just spring it on everybody. Yep. And then there was a look back at uh, sports center commercials history with Dan and Keith. And then there was another video about sports center anchors and, and great moments that they covered at ESPN. So those are three segments they 
we're going to do no matter what. Got it. And then a wrap-up segment where Keith, Dan, and Scott Van Pelt are on set together wrapping up the whole night. And so we got there at 6, and we're just kind of talking it out, watching baseball, watching tennis, watching football. And it, it's a very normal production meeting. Yeah. But it was really fun. I sat right behind Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman, two feet behind him. Wow. It, it was cool. It, it felt like, um, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase, watching Jordan Pippen warm up for a game 20 years after they retired. Did you ever have an opportunity to do exactly that when you were at SportsCenter back? I mean, I'm sorry, when you were at ESPN Radio? A little, because when Dan Patrick took over the 6 p.m. SportsCenter, I was his radio producer, and they brought me in a little bit okay. to write questions for certain interviews. Yeah, so, that makes sense. You're amazing at that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, maybe once a month, I would say not more than that. Maybe twice a month, they would take, hey, why don't you come over to the rundown meeting? We just want to go over angles for interviewing Bob Knight, interviewing Peyton Manning. So, but awesome. I was not a regular. Can you now? Dan Patrick uh, told the story today on the DP show. Can you tell like the story of what, when you pitched the idea for the ending and what the reaction in the room was? So I was pretty quiet in the room because I'm not working there. I'm not an ESPN employee. Yeah, I'm kind of lucky to be invited into the room. Yeah, but you also know me that I can't help myself. Of course, yeah, that's very true. I can't, I can't do it. You I can't stop producing, coming up with ideas. It's impossible. I, and I, I, I may come off wrong to people, but I, I don't know whether any other way to live uh, at this role. And so, um, they're all throwing out ideas. And every once in a while, I would whisper something in the Oberman's ear or Dan's ear because I was right behind them. They were talking about, um, talk about sports and catchphrases. Yeah, and they're talking about, and they're running through the segment. We're going to talk about this, 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 this. And I just whisper into Keith's ear and Dan's ear, go, you got to mention Stuart Scott. And and Oberon just kind of tilts his head back and he kind of gives me a wave, like, give me more. I go, he was the next evolution of you guys. He was the, he took it to a new level as far as younger demographic, urban demographic. The the voice of the people who live in different communities was being given back to them by Stuart Scott. He's not exactly like you and Dan. He's different. He's like the next generation. Sure. And Dan heard and Keith heard it and Dan goes, Hold, and I didn't say it to the room because I didn't want to like, yeah, bro, you know, t- try to take over or something. And Dan just said it, and they worked it in the script and worked it in the rundown. But then they were talking about the end of the show, and most sports centers end with just like, "Hey, fun night." Yeah, I, I assume that Scott Van Pelt's going to go. What a great night! Glad you guys were here. Hope you had fun. Good night from everybody. We want a special night at Sports Center? That's kind of what Scott was going to do with the guys. Chat it out for ninety seconds and let it go. And I didn't say anything to the room because I, I kind of thought it wasn't my place. But when there was a break in the action, I walked over to Van Pelt and his producer. Um, and I, I just say a little background. You're friends with Scott. I know I, every time you he's always so happy to see you. He thinks a lot of you. So it was, you're comfortable. Vice versa. He's yeah. one of the best people ever to work in sports, yeah. on and off the air. Yeah. And uh, I felt comfortable walking over quietly to Scott and his producer and saying, what do you think about this? And I, and I, I completely took the Sopranos angle yeah. of ending. So I said, why don't you guys, when you do the wrap-up, Dan and Keith can say how much fun they had, which I assume they're going to say, but who knows? It wasn't scripted, that part. And then right at the end, Dan will go, Keith, that was a blast. You know you know what we should do? Now that we got one under our belt, you know, you know what we should, we should announce right here that we're going to... Black. Black. And I go four or five seconds of black and then just put this as Center." And that's it. That's the end of the show. And Van Pelt goes, done. <laughs> that was he, the whole negotiation. That was the whole negotiation. Van Pelt, to his credit, goes, done. And the other producer goes, oh, I like that. And so I ran it over to Dan. Dan liked it. We ran through it once or twice. They filmed it, and uh, it was really good. And when they filmed it, I'm watching in the control room how it played out. And Dan goes, you know what we should do? And then it goes to black. And it was like, one, two. And then it, this is Sports Center. And I go, oh, boy. And I go, I ran over to Dan. I go, I don't think they let, they let it go black for long enough. I go, because it's tough. A, a black screen on TV is death. Oh, of course. Every producer is probably desperate to get desperate. something on the air immediately. And in my mind, I said, two seconds felt like Dan got clipped and it was an accident. Yeah. Five seconds feels like it's on purpose and feels more, it raises the tension. And so I asked Dan Patrick, I go, Dan, would you ask them if they would double it, make it four or five seconds? He went over to Pete McConville and said, hey, and he's, he's like, oh, yeah, didn't we do that? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. And they fixed it real quick. And I thought it played real well. Wait, did they have to redo it or they no, just no. had the... Oh, wait, okay. They, they just lengthened the, the dead air and the black screen. 
And it's really cool. I, I, That's very cool. I was really happy with By that. By the way, are you going to invoice ESPN? I mean, what the heck? Yeah, I, I, Dude, you worked for a day. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. There were 75 other ideas in that room <laughs> produced by Scott Van Pelt's staff, and I'm getting way too much credit for A one. few pats on the back isn't going to pay the bills, Paul. You uh, basically worked for a day. So did Dan and Keith. Yeah. Okay, Eddie, uh, Ed, can you give me just a tidbit of what it's like to be around Keith Oberman for an extended period? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, now, I can understand why he rubs people the wrong way. I find him to be a high-end genius. Like, genius gets thrown around. He's beyond that. Wow. Uh, he knows a lot about sports, and I think I know a lot about sports. Um, he is so quick-witted, so quick with a line, the right line. He is also keeps pressure on people to do their jobs, which I kind of I like to do in my job, yeah. but not like Keith. And, and I'm throwing this. I hope this is all a compliment. Um, he is intense to be around. Yeah. Even when he's chilling and having fun, he's he likes to poke, he likes to jab, he likes to make jokes, he likes to ask questions, he likes to question everything. Yeah, which I think is a good thing in his role. When you're on a, on the tightrope, you you make sure you ask if the tightrope is strong before you walk out there. And and he's out there alone doing the show. He's got a lot of producers. He always asks people, "Why are we doing this? What do you think about this?" And it felt like he and Dan had missed 22 years of working together, and it felt like it was a three day weekend. Totally. It was fascinating. Came out, yeah, it, sitting at home. It, I was like, oh, they're right back in their groove. There were so many inside jokes about a minute in. Oh. About, like, obviously, Dan was doing some baseball names. And the two of them, I thought they were going to start laughing at one point. Early on, like a minute in, right. Dan's like, Pineda, yeah. and emphasizing the E on it. Well, Dan was even saying, he goes, he goes I don't know the backup, uh, you know, the third guy in the bullpen for the Mariners. And Keith's like, oh, that's uh, Rusty, whatever. Like, Keith knows every guy in the bullpen yeah, yeah. for the Mariners. So the dichotomy of, of or the juxtaposition of those two, one who likes baseball and watches and one who's hardcore about yeah. baseball, they had fun with it. And and Keith was poking Dan and Dan was poking Keith back. Yeah. And instead of like trying to hide a foible or whatever the word you'd like to use is, they embraced it and made fun of it and made fun of each other, which is exactly what they did 25 years ago. I know. Oh, it was so awesome. You know, okay, I, I'm sure you heard a lot of reaction to this. I, a lot of my friends are like, why can't they do this all the time? Well, it, it's... I guess I look at it like this. If you had a favorite restaurant from your youth mm -hmm. or a favorite whatever from your youth, and let's say that, that restaurant you grew up in near your home that reminds you of being back home, and you went back to visit there, and you're like, oh, this is so great. This is so awesome. It's it's great because you it brings you back to your youth for a day. You wouldn't go back to eat at that restaurant five days a week. Uh, I would, though. You, you, I would do five days a week at Dan and Keith. You oh, would, too. Of course we would. Oh, and... and in a perfect world, yeah. But, but you're saying the reality of this situation is that's not going to happen. And that's what Dan oh, said no. today on air. No, I don't think either of those guys at this juncture want to do that kind of schedule. Yeah. Th that's a bear. I, I watch what these guys do. Mm. That's a lot harder than a radio show. In, in different, oh, It's different than a radio show because they're in a room at 6 o'clock. Yeah. They don't go on air till 11. They finish at 11, 12, 15. Sometimes they have to fix stuff for like re-airs. It's a, it's a bit of a grind. And yeah. I can't imagine doing that. For, Van Pelt and his guys do it five nights a week. Yeah, and you got to be sharp too, you know. And you have to be adjust on the fly. We're sitting in the room, and this was actually my favorite. One of my favorite parts is his producers know what they're doing, and and all of a sudden this Antonio Brown video hits, and I'm in the room at Sports Center when it hits. So you get to see the premier sports show in our country that reacts to news, reacting to the Antonio Brown video. Everyone in the room is looking at each other, just like, is this real? Who put this out? And so you got one person calling the Raiders, trying to find out. You got one person assigned to call Drew Rosenhaus and find out if it's real. You got another person checking oh. the veracity of the account. You got one person checking whether it's illegal to tape somebody in the state of California. Sure. So you're calling like a legal person. You got another person uh, trying to make sure it's legal to use the audio without his permission. And there's only so many people in that room to do the job. And we're all alone in this room. And and it's, it was it was a scramble in a good way. It's funny because we do the DP show nine to twelve Eastern. News doesn't break in that window like it does at night. There's no games ending on top of a possible potential breaking news story. And the other thing is, and it's something that I had never seen in person before, Dan Patrick and, and all the sports center hosts, they have an IFB, a microphone, a little speaker in their ear, and their producers can tell them things. Go to break, wrap it up, go to this guest, whatever you want to be. They call them talent because they can have someone talking to them in one ear and talk coherently into a camera in front of millions of people yeah. at, at the same time. So I'm in a control room. And they're giving, later in the show, Van Pelt an updated West Coast baseball highlight. And Van Pelt has not seen one second of this game. He doesn't know what's about to happen on the screen. 
And his producer, Pete McConville, is talking him, or his other producer, I should say, whose name is, escapes me, is walking him through the highlight in real time. He goes, uh, Mariners 2-2, uh, fifth inning. 2-2 Mariners, fifth inning. And Oh, my gosh. And Van Pelt has a shot sheet in front of him so he knows what video is coming next. But he doesn't know who's going to hit the next home run. He goes, home run, Darby Swanson, or whatever the guy's name is. And, and to watch that play, and you would have no idea that Van Pelt is, is being assisted in any way because he's so damn smooth on air. You know, it's funny. Uh, look, I used to work at CNN. I think, you know, at CNN Sports, I did an mm-hmm. internship there. When the talent lost their teleprompter, mm-hmm. that's where you could tell where, who was really talented. Mm-hmm. There was a guy, I won't say who he was, but he lost his teleprompter. He started speaking in tongues. <laughs> and I'm sure a guy like Scott or Dan would somehow make, make a joke or get through that. Well, I always think that's what made Dan and Keith great is there was a time when uh, Dan Patrick's microphone wasn't working. His uh, his little lav mic, mm-hmm. it, it sits on top while you where your tie is. And there's a famous old Sports Center clip where he's like, uh, yeah. he's like, Mariners up three two because he's not on mic. Right, he, it's being picked up by Keith's mic. Keith takes his mic off, puts it on Dan for the highlight. Yeah, and then when Dan's on the highlight, he goes, "Well, I'm going to need that, please." And he hands it back. And they took something that would be a disaster on television and made it entertaining. And that's Dan and Keith in a nutshell. They could roll with anything. They're they're in the middle of doing baseball highlights and. Uh, like there was a highlight that was not supposed to be there, something like that. Dan goes, this appears to be a home run. Like, because <laughs> he had no idea that was, the next highlight was going to be a home run. He goes, he goes, and up for the Reds, uh, whatever player it was, he goes, and this appears to be a home run. <laughs> he goes, I think I'm supposed to stay gone here. And, and Dan yeah. adjusted beautifully. And I'm sitting there going, man, these guys are talented. So you, you woke up, I assume at 5.30 a.m., 6 a.m. to do Dan Patrick show. What time did you get home to your house? So after uh, Dan and Keith were done and, and Van Pelt were done, everyone went downstairs to the little fishbowl meeting room. And it was Dan, Keith, Van Pelt, myself, uh, four producers, a great producer named Maura Mant, who is vital in putting this thing together. She will not get a shout-out, but where she's getting one here. Um, and everyone's kind of decompressing. If there was a six-pack of beer in the room, everybody would have grabbed one. Yeah. I guarantee that. I don't even know who drinks it now, but everyone was going to grab a, a six-pack. But You might have uh, shotgunned it if you yeah. could have. Yeah. Uh, it was like, whew, exhale. Uh, a lot of pats on the back for a lot of old friends. I didn't work with these guys for a long time. It was Dan and Keith and the producers that they worked with for tw- a decade ago, a generation ago, saying, we pulled it off. That was pretty cool. And they're, they're tra- trading some stories. And it was a bit, even though it was, it was probably... Uh, 12.15 in the morning, 12.15 a.m. Nobody wanted to really leave yet. Nobody wanted to be the first person to say, I got to go. So I was sitting there waiting, and then they're like, all right, we should break this up, and everyone went their separate ways. And and Van Pelt did this one big thing where he talks about what ESPN is truly like. It's a, it looks like a junior college campus yeah. in a small town, yeah. quiet, sleepy town in the central Connecticut, which is a very sleepy state, by the way. And he goes, you go out to your car after a night of doing sports center all alone. You jump in your car. You drive past a gas station. Maybe a Dunkin' Donuts is open. Then you pull up to your house and you try to find a way to go to sleep. But you probably end up watching more sports center. That's our lives. That's what we do. And it's funny because he said that on air for his one big thing. And as I walked to the visitor parking lot, I was the only visitor there. So I'm walking. There's one car in the visitor parking lot, my car. And I have to walk about 50, 100 yards to get there. It's very quiet. It's about oh, 60 no. degrees, and and I'm my head's spinning, and I'm like, this is what Van Pelt was talking about. You walk to your car. Nobody's here to cheer for you or cheer for Dan or Scott or Keith, and nobody's there to react except on social media, and I drove my 45 minutes home and got to my house at whatever, 1 o'clock in the morning. 1, my, yeah. And my wife waited up for me, God bless her, to... She's a, a saint. that's amazing. Yeah, I can't believe it. She definitely was into some show. Well, she, I know Dana well enough. There's no way she waited up for you. That's an excuse. She did. I, she and, wasn't watching. She wasn't watching something on Netflix. Then three minutes after I walked in, she went to bed, and okay. I sat there and I cracked a beer. And I haven't had a beer in about three weeks. And I cracked a beer and sat there. I was like, I'm pretty glad I was there for that one, no matter what happened. And I'm pretty glad for Dan, especially that it went smoothly. Yeah. Um, the one thing that is tough is a lot of people on social media said, "I wish we had a heads up on it." I wish we had known a week before, a day before, six hours before. It kind of defeated the purpose of what everyone wanted to do. And I'm not speaking for all these guys, but um, that it was hard to put together. It was, I think if they would have done it where they promoted a month and a half, mm. month ahead of time, the expectations would have been too big. 
Right, right, right. Something right. would have gone wrong. Somebody it would have been as fun. Somebody would have tapped out. Something would have happened. It was like they got it together. They got it on air and did it. And the people who were watching sports that night got the thrill of their day, thrill of their week, thrill yeah. of the month. And others who f- saw us promote it an hour early on social media got a pretty, pretty big thrill. And you can go to ESPN.com and watch all the clips. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Um, Where were me, you? I was at home. And I got to admit, I had to DVR then. I was, I was, and I'm not. Oh, it's late. Sorry. I was late, and we wake up early for this job, yeah. I, and it was a long week. It was the first week after Labor Day, the first week of the NFL season. You and I were both really busy, so I don't know how you had the energy. Let me just ask, what uh, what are you doing on this Friday night? What, are you going to follow that up with a similar, will you go back to CBS and producing 60 Minutes? What's yeah, your plan? Yeah, this Friday... Uh, <laughs> Paint a picture for us. I would <laughs> say I'll probably be driving alone up to Vermont, getting to my house, and probably shoveling something. Oh, but... Whoa, 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 whoa. It's uh, September... Is it foliage season? It's yet? early foliage season. So it's not even that. You can't even celebrate the no, foliage. No, I'll yet. probably be sitting there alone in my house in Vermont, uh, uh, folding up plaid blankets and, and, and wallowing. Do you have a tailgate coming up in the next few weeks? What do we got? Went to a good one the other day. Support your local college football teams no matter where they are. I went to a Sacred Heart University Bucknell game at oh, Sacred yeah. Heart University. Throw out the record book. Throw it out. And uh, it was great. There's 5,000 people there. It was a packed house. 5,000 people? 5, That's 000. great. It was the ni- biggest crowd opener in Sacred Heart history, which is... That's some serious history. Now, I know they're like pretty good at basketball. How's the football team? Actually, the football team, I, I, would, I think they made the one AA playoffs, the FCA playoffs, four times you in know, the past 10 years. That's right. They're a solid football program. If one AA, they're a good football program. Yeah. They've got a new uh, Jumbotron. Is beautiful. All right, right, let's a, not make it the SEC. I gave you your I'm time saying, on Sacred Heart any, football. Any kids out there who are considering <laughs> Alabama, I guarantee you're going to get playing time at Sacred Heart. Oh, uh, awesome, Paulie. That is, I'm so glad I got to relive that with you and I was there for part Sorry of Sorry I dominated the mic there, but I wanted to tell the no, story. No, 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 I want. I felt like, um, you know, it's funny. I felt like we all kind of got a little victory in that night. I don't know. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I felt like it was like, I, I like fist pumped at the end of the night and for you, it was like a double fist pump. But for Dan, I don't think Dan's like the fist pump guy. I don't know how Dan felt afterwards, but it was like a big win. Dan was relieved when it was over that it went yeah. well. That's how Dan lives it. He kind of is like more relieved when it went well. But I know he had a great day. He got to see a lot of people yeah. he hadn't seen in a while. He was hugging and kissing uh, uh, during the afternoon on the ESPN campus. I don't know how it could have gone better for Dan personally. Um, and for me, to see him and Keith work together in person, yeah. I, I know it's it's sports it's sports media so it's not but if you if you somehow were able to get Michael Jordan Scottie Pippen yeah. to go back to the NBA for one day and lock down a couple people or like a mini version of seeing McCartney and Lennon play like that's a right. great band members get back together who hadn't played in a long time I think that's a maybe it, a better that's analogy. exactly right yeah totally and, and they still way, had their fastball must have been kind of fun and you won't say this and then you must have been kind of fun to go back to Bristol being an on air personality after being a producer there because I'll bet you a lot of, you might not know this a lot huh. of people were paying attention to the Danettes who probably wouldn't have otherwise it was weird because when I worked at uh, with the Dan Patrick show at uh, ESPN I was not on air in any way there was a guy named Phil the show killer who was the voice of the production yeah, team yeah I was the producer of the show, and I was I ran the show, and Todd Fritz also, but I was never on air. So there was people, even on campus, who had no idea. Like I'd be like, I'm Paul, or I'd be, we'd be on the road with the Dan Patrick Show back in the day. I'm Paul Paps. I'm the producer of the Dan Patrick Show. Phil, Phil the show killer produces the show. I'm like, oh my god, Phil has nothing to do with the show. He's a great guy. He's a great board op, and he's great on air. But he had nothing to do with the show. And we were in the second row of the presentations. So that was the weirdest. Picture, pictures of uh, Bill Rasmussen, who founded ESPN. Bill st- Rasmussen is in front. He's a founder. He's that made ESPN happen. Then there's George Bodenheimer. He took it to the yeah. next level. And then there's uh uh. uh uh, George Grant is his name. George Grant they hosted the first Sports Center, something like that. Yeah. Right, and and then Jimmy Pitaro, the new president of yeah. ESPN. They're sitting four across in front of us because we're Dan's guests. They slid us directly, literally one row behind them. Yeah, and there's this camera shooting yeah. them. I'm kind of on camera. You're six four, and and you're noticeable. I'm the only one in the crowd wearing a hat, by the way, because <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be so formal. You're a Nike hat. So I got about four texts from people I've worked with. I'm like, are you? Are you here? Are you wearing a goofy hat? <laughs> like one of my buddies in radio texts, he goes, why are you and the other guys from your show sitting directly behind the president yeah. of ESPN? And everyone, he goes, I didn't even get invited to this. People are like making tearful tributes to like the founders of ESPN. They're like, and all you've done for us, stand up. And the camera's 
focused more on my goofy face oh. than the guy. It's like, and I, I'm the only one in the room who did, never worked at ESPN for a day, and I'm like clapping, just oh. like, don't blow it up. All right, Paulie. Thanks, thanks for, for having me on the podcast. Big fan. Yeah, by the way, this was a tough booking. Uh, you know, I, uh, I you said, actually didn't book me. You said, go down the hallway for a second. That's what you said about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I said, can you stop eating your steak and come down here? I appreciate that. that. Thanks for having me. That was awesome to hear all those details from Paul. You know, I was there for part of it, but the latter part, that's amazing. And I saw it on air. I mean, we're understating how cool it was to see Dan and Keith. All right, let's change topics a little bit here to John Gruden, Antonio Brown, and more from around the NFL from a veteran reporter who is very sharp. And if you don't know her, I think you're really going to enjoy her. Let's go. All right, it's now my pleasure to welcome DMMQB.com's Jenny Vrentis. Now, Jenny, you recently wrote a feature on John Gruden. What do you think is running through John Gruden's head? This is now Monday afternoon before he plays the Broncos. What's he thinking on Antonio Brown? Boy, I screwed this up, or I'm glad he's gone, or I don't know what. What, what is John Gruden thinking? I think, unfortunately, he had positioned Brown as one of the pieces of this new direction for the team. You know, he had said that Brown was a big factor in recruiting other free agents to the team. And when he met with one top draft prospect uh, this spring, he spent the first 20 minutes of dinner justifying the Khalil Mack trade by saying that it helped him get players like Brown. Mm. So he had made him a centerpiece of their rebuilding strategy. Um, and so I think because of that, it is embarrassing the way that it ended. Uh, not only that, it, it ended with him in New England, which to every other team in the ASC, including the Raiders, is particularly smarting. But, you know, he's sold this, hey, we're doing this rebuild, we're shipping out all these players, and I'm going to reshape the roster the way I want it to be. And when you make Brown a piece, a centerpiece of that, essentially, um, and it works out the way that it did, I think it's difficult to sell that to players. It becomes harder to say, hey, I know where I'm leading this team and have them have confidence, I guess, in the direction. So do you think he thinks he can win now with this team? You know, I think Brown was a key component to yeah. not having another miserable season, right? 4-12 and 12 was miserable. And I think, of course, they're building toward Vegas, right? The goal is to have a, a decent team. You know, players say, oh, we're going to shock the world this year, but when we get to Vegas, we'll take over. That has been the, the message that they've all been saying, right? And now... This year, you look at the skill position group, and yeah, Tyrell Williams is a great acquisition. Josh, Josh Jacobs will be a great player to have in the backfield. But their goal was to kind of build around Carr and bring in all these weapons, and Brown was one of those weapons to sort of you know, build confidence in the direction of the team this year. And so I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to advance much past the 4-12 and 12 season mm. of last year. But, they, you know, they have a little bit of talent on the offensive line. Trent Brown looks like a monster. Uh, you know, they have Colton Miller, I think, improved the left tackle uh, out of UCLA a little bit last year. I could have seen, I made the argument, well, if Josh Jacobs is good and Derek Carr is there, and this is when Antonio Brown was there, like, the offense seems kind of loaded with pieces. Is that, would that have even been an overstatement if Antonio Brown was still in Oakland? No, I, you're right. I mean, they have it in Browns. Trent Brown certainly was an important acquisition. You know, last year you have Carr playing with two rookie tackles. So, you know, the clock is sped up for him on each play. And I think right. that led to a lot of the sacks and a lot of the rush play by him, a lot of the trouble that he got into with interceptions. And so they did make an effort to build out around him and give him another chance to, you know, take a step forward to feel like, should we keep him or not? Uh, so I do think there are good pieces, and there's good pieces on defense. I just don't know that it's enough. I think they're they're a really young team. I think it takes younger players a time to grow into these bigger roles, and I also don't think they have a lot of depth. Um, so I I don't know. I six and ten in my mind is is probably what this team ends up around. Okay, I'm going to ask you to speculate about Antonio Brown. We've talked about mental health in the NFL for a while now, uh, especially this off season. It's come up. I think people are addressing it more than they ever have. Do you think everything is is okay in Antonio Brown's camp? Was this 
did he calculate some of this, or is he as unpredictable as he seems from the outside? It's a great question, and I know Drew Rosa House has been asked that question uh, by, by, you know, by several reporters, and I think it's good that the question is being asked. I think it's hard to make any kind of determinations about uh, what's going on with him from afar. I do think some of the the behavior that he's exhibited is hard to understand. Um, I, you know, I, I think that mental health in the NFL, as you said, has really been put front and center. I mean, the league and the Players Association have a new initiative this year where it's, they've increased the number of mandatory hours that a team clinician will be available uh, to players. They have mental health emergency action plans. They've really made an effort to make sure that players have more options to get help if they need it. I don't know if Brown falls into that category or not. Um, you could look at it, like you said, as a player kind of executing the leverage he has to, to get to where he wants to play. And that is possible. You know, it, it, it came together quickly. He seemed elated about an exit plan from a contract that offered him $30 million guaranteed. And he ends up in a spot that he probably wanted to go anyway. So um, it's hard to I think it's it would be impossible to to say this was, you know, the plan all along, because I think that would be very difficult to execute a plan over months of time. But you could say that his social media exit strategy the last 24 hours before his release, you could say that that may have been calculated. OK, Jenny, uh, on a lighter topic. I'm going to do quick fire week one. I just want your week one reactions. You can't think about them. You just have to give me your instinctual reaction. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Lamar Jackson is going to be a superstar after the 59-10 win over Miami. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. You sure? I'm not sure, but I think, (laughs) I mean, you know, Miami has a lot of struggles going on, but that was an impressive offensive display. And I think he's a, a smart young player who's, willing to work on all aspects of his game. And uh, I was excited. I don't, I don't think it's fool's gold. Do you like the way I said, give me your instinctual reaction. Then yeah. I, I refuse to take her. To... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, New York Jets <laughs> lost 17, 16 to the bills was all the hype on the jets. And I know you live in the New York area too. Was that all completely misplaced? No, it was a bad loss, but I, I think there's still reasons to be optimistic about this team. Okay, um, I, I just see my producer saying you picked them to get make the playoffs. Is that why you're saying that? I did, that? yeah. You know, I, maybe I'm second-guessing that a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, the, the offensive line clearly has some issues. Sort of the cor- cornerback position. But, you know, I just felt like they have a lot of uh, a lot of exciting players. And I felt like the excitement of a first-year head coach could carry them. Me too. I, I'm <laughs> I'm in on the Jets. I mean, Jamison okay. Crowder looks so good in preseason, and I, I love CJ. And CJ Mosley was great yesterday, so I'm in on the Jets. Yeah. Okay, are the Browns that bad? No, but I don't think they're that good either. Yeah, I totally agree. So you wouldn't give me a record seven, nine, eight, and eight, something like that. Yeah, eight and eight. Okay. Um, the Jacoby Brissett led Colts came back, almost beat the Chargers. Jacoby Brissett's going to be pretty good in Indianapolis, but it's not going to be good enough to make them a real contender. Yay or nay? Yay. I I think there's some upside there, but I haven't seen enough yet. My favorite Jacoby Brissett story is that when he was in New England and he was the third-string quarterback, Bill Parcells, his mentor, used to call him one snap because it was you're only one snap away from playing. So Brady suspended Garoppolo starting. You're one snap away from playing. So prepare like that. And he obviously did have to play when Garoppolo got hurt. So he has he has been a guy that that's prepares the right way. Like he knows to be ready all the time. I just haven't seen enough yet to make a definitive conclusion. Okay. Uh, Seattle beat Cincinnati 21-20. But I don't care about that. I was saying earlier in the podcast, uh, new coach Zach Taylor looks legit. I feel like we're seeing Sean McVay, too, there in Cincinnati. I'm not saying that's going to win because the defense is not great there, but I'm pretty excited about Cincinnati under Zach Taylor. Am I crazy? I am, too, and I know you're an Andy Dalton guy. Yeah. I agree with you. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, 418 yards. All right. Uh, We had just talked before uh, we recorded about, real quick, the Giants. So they did not look good against Dallas, but Eli looked okay. Still, is that enough to stay with Eli sort of 
at least through 10 games if you're the Giants? I don't think he'll make it 10 games. Okay. I think they have to switch before that. I was eyeing that game against the Jets where if they lost that game, you know, and lost the back page, that would be really bad. What about uh, the, there was a couple people on Twitter who said trade him to the Jags. Any chance something like that could happen? Or forget any chance. Would that make any sense? I don't think it would make sense. But obviously the Coughlin connection, you know, you think about that. I, I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll, I think they'll switch to Jones and, and let Eli at some point this year, and Eli will stay there and sort of see him through his rookie season. Okay. Uh, the New England Patriots rolled over the Steelers. Miami Dolphins looked awful. More likely to happen. The Steel, uh, Patriots go 16-0 and or the Dolphins go 0-16? Dolphins go 0-16. Ooh. You think that's likely? I don't it, think either is likely. I, don't you feel like the Dolphins could do I mean, they'll probably win in week two because they always beat New England and Miami. But I know. it looks bad there, right? It, the reports about players wanting out, this is the painful part of the, you know, the, the teardown or tanking or whatever you want to call it, uh, is that you, you get players who are totally demoralized. And I, I agree with a lot of the moves they made in theory, but I think in practice, a lot of times the tank is much more difficult to sustain in, in, a, in the NFL where players' careers are so short anyway. Yeah, I you know, the 16-0 thing, if their schedule was a little lighter, I would buy into that as a possibility. But they go to Philly, to Baltimore. But I came away from Sunday night, I'm like, whoa, they're adding Antonio Brown to that team? Because they look kind of perfect to me. They just looked like it just was, they had never, I don't know, they just picked up right where they left off. And I, that, to me, this team looks really more dangerous than other years, right? Because usually it takes the Patriots a while to come together. Yeah. They always treat September like their preseason. But this year, here they are, just ready. Well, it's funny, too, because I saw Philip Dorsett just running by people. I had to think, you know, where where are the, the target's going to go? Because you're going to have to put Dorsett on the bench, and he looked amazing. Because you got Julian Edelman, you got Josh Gordon, you're going to have Antonio Brown. I guess you play a lot of three wide receiver sets, but still, there's a lot of target. And James White is basically a receiver, too. I mean, it's a cliche now, but is A.B. going to get mad because he's not getting enough targets? Well, he'll have to fall in line. And I think I think the difference is clear, right? It's it's You don't have to sell New England to him. The Raiders had a lot to sell to him. You know, it was an organization that went 4-12 mm. last year, doesn't have a clear plan. He came from the Steelers, so... I think it's just a totally different vibe. I think it'll be fine for for him in New England. I really do. Is there any is there anything that could go wrong in New England this year? Because they all of a sudden they have a defense. You know, they didn't even have Kyle Van Noy last night. They have all those defensive backs. They find a they find an offensive line. What's a what's a uh, possible shortcoming here? I, I don't see it. I think offensive line would be the only concern, uh, you know, with Andrews out, obviously it, it, it's fine last night, but you know, the right tackle gets hurt. So if, if there was any trouble spot, that would be it. But we were talking about receiver being a trouble spot a few weeks ago. And now we're talking about, are there enough targets to go around? Okay. Uh, who'd you have in the Super Bowl? I had the Patriots beating the Eagles. Yeah. I had the Eagles beating the Patriots. Now, Eagles are down 17 nothing in the first half. Did part of you panic and say, oh, man, I messed up with that Super Bowl pick? A little bit. But, you yeah. know, week one is so hard to, yeah. you know, because so many of these teams don't play in the preseason and, and Carson's coming off an injury. I think it takes a while to settle into form. I, I was surprised, though, that Washington started the way it did. Well, you know, my other quarterback, Case Keenum, right, showed. Right. that was the Minnesota Case Keenum. Uh, I got to tell you, I am. I picked the Eagles, too. I'm not nervous about them at all because that offensive line was spotless. And Carson Wentz looks like he did from two years ago. You know, he was rolling to his right and just throwing the ball 30 yards downfield on a dime. I, I think Carson Wentz, the Carson Wentz MVP talk, I know there are a lot of good quarterbacks in week one, but would you be shocked if he sort of got to the head of that race by midseason, say? I would not be shocked because I think one thing I really like what the Eagles did this offseason is they addressed the criticisms of Wentz head on. They didn't say these weren't true. They basically said, 
you know what, he's still growing as a leader and we're going to work on that with him. And I felt like that's the best approach, right? He's still a young player. He has a lot of growing to do. And I'm sure that it helped them get to a better place rather than ignoring it and letting stuff fester. Yeah, I was in Philly and everybody was talking about a new Carson Wentz personality wise. I mean, he always seemed like a nice guy to me anyway, but I guess more of a leader. The other thing is Deshaun Jackson, I don't know, he is... He's still super fast. He's 31 or something. And Darren Sproles is 36 running around like crazy. And, and I was bringing up Cam Wake is 37 at two and a half sacks and Terrell Suggs was 36. What's with these old guys? Is that fitness, nutrition, any idea what's going on there? Except for Vinatieri had a rough oh. for, for the old group. But other than that, other than that. I know. Yeah. Vinatieri is the one guy I can look at and be like, yeah, I could still be an athlete in my mid-40s. <laughs> look at Adam Vinatieri. And he screwed it up. Uh, okay, Jenny, I'll leave you with... Uh, what do the what should the Jets and the Bears and any other team do about a kicker? And be feel free to say Carly Lloyd because I'm down with that. I'm down with anything. Is it, do you have any answers to the kicking crises around the NFL? I think a dedicated kicking coach, not just a special mm. teams coordinator. I think a dedicated kicking coach. Um, although I think the Bears have a kicking consultant, so maybe that's not the right answer. So then, yeah, let's go with Carly Lloyd. Yeah, if you pair it with the right kicking consultant, that sounds like, what kind of job is that? What do you do for a living? I'm a, I'm a kicking consultant. I'm a kicking consultant. But then again, right. Jay, Jay Feely is like a kicking announcer, right? Yeah. That, that's all there he does. A, there is, there is a, I, I think that position is so important that uh, you have to, I think you have to devote the resources. I, I think the Ravens have a very robust, staff devoted to and no wonder their pickers have wow. stuff there and then struggle elsewhere so i think that's one part of it i also just think you cannot overestimate the pressure of um when a lot of resources are devoted to a specialist that really seems to um not be good for their performance right we saw that with aguayo with yeah. the second round pick and you know the jets kicker you know being traded to the vikings and they give up a draft pick for him and uh, ever since then, it seems like he hasn't quite been the same. Have you ever done? Have you ever interviewed a sports psychologist for a story? Yeah, and I, I would assume kicker is a, a position that would really need one because that's all mental. Yeah, yeah, I think that's why the pressure of of having a lot of resources being mm. devoted to a kicker is, and that's you know. But it's just, the Bears seem to be okay. They had they had an okay result week one. Yeah, but, but... they didn't they didn't even go for that fifty one yarder right, at the end. Right. I don't yeah. trust I don't trust the Bears. Uh, yeah, it's a big deal. I mean the the Bengals probably lost. Randy Bullock is going to lose a lot of games for you. You go down the list. Justin Tucker. It's he the best? He's the best kicker I've ever seen in my life since yeah, I've been watching football. Right. I didn't right. know they had a staff around him. Yeah, I think they have uh, someone on staff studies kicking and then there's I believe there's a dedicated kicking coach but now I I don't want to I don't want to be speaking out of turn but I, I think they devote more resources and of course Harbaugh's a you know a special teams guy at heart so I think oh, I he know. understands right I think that's what is also important is yeah. treating this position like you know we need to in, invest in in this as, as much as any other position well look at Bill Belichick he had a great he had a hall of fame kicker and drafted another kicker he exactly. another special teams coach we figured exactly. out, you know what a team should hire? Me and you. We should get in there and allocate resources to make this all happen. Are you down? And then next year, Dave Tobe should get a head coaching job. Continuing the trend. Oh, my gosh. Jenny Vrentis and Andrew Perla figured out the NFL. <laughs> Finally. Uh, <laughs> thanks for your time, Jenny. We'll check in down the road for sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Man, that was fun. Jenny, as always, really insightful analysis on the NFL. Man, I tell you, we're getting going the regular season. As we move forward on the Against the Grain podcast, I'm going to be debunking like crazy. I mean, if you were bunking something, forget it. I'm debunking it because I think week one, there are a lot of aberrations. I'm going to get into it later in the week because week one, I think, was a lot of fool's gold. Everything changes by week two. I can't wait. This is prime Against the Grain season. Everyone is going one way after one game. We're going to go the other way, and hopefully we'll be right about a lot of things. NFL regular season, let's do it.